Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name's Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And uh, the Premier League season is uh, continuing. Arsenal with a narrow 2-1 home win at Burnley and Spurs with a heroic draw away at Manchester City. Um, I'm sure we both have lots to say about the late VAR drama at the Etihad, but maybe we should start with the match that kicked off the Premier League weekend, Arsenal-Burnley. Jason, how impressed were you with Arsenal and in particular with Danny Ceballos and Nicola Pepe? Well, it was uh, it was a nice way to start my weekend, that's for sure. Getting a solid result against a uh, usually resilient Burnley team. I feel like it seems like deja vu. They always come to the Emirates. They always leave empty-handed, always with a with a bit of the um, the bit within their teeth, thinking, "Why did we not? Why did we not win?" Sean Dyche usually coming um, coming out with with a statement criticizing uh, either the refereeing or the other team. Um, no surprises there, although nice guy. Met him in the summer. Very lovely guy um, in Portugal. Um, couldn't, couldn't speak highly enough of him, but not in this instance when it comes to my football team. Um, yeah, good result. Danny Ceballos looked incredible. And I, I have to admit, I have to eat humble pie on the fact that I said that I thought um, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be uh, useful to this team. Um I didn't really see anything from him uh, in preseason or that first game, but he's he's come alive. So um, he'll be he'll be staying in my draft fantasy football team for another week at least. Um, Nicholas Pepe, I'm still. Everyone who went to the game said he looked brilliant. I'm still a little bit worried that he has a bit of Urzel about him, a bit absent, kind of um, you know a showy player who does has one or two great moments, but not much impact. Um, Again, I'm I'm likely to be proven wrong on that. As a whole team performance, I thought it was I thought it was brilliant. You know, to put the faith in Reese Nelson and Joe Willock still um, was a great move for their confidence. You know, it's the type of game you can and should be able to to, to rest players and kind of rotate a little bit. Guendouzi looked great. Louise showed so much presence, and you could even see him at goal kicks, kind of actually shouting to his defenders, grabbing his arms, and making sure everyone's on the same line. Even that moment that looked like it was a mistake from him, where he headed it um, behind his own goal um, from the corner, it just shows a bit of maturity and a bit of authority in the back that we haven't seen for so long. Um, and then to get our two main boys scoring again. So I'd, I'd say overall, almost a perfect performance. Um, always would love a few more a few more goals. Um, but no, very, 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 very happy with that. Um, top of the league for a short amount of time second of the league right now and hopefully first this kind of time come next week so yeah job done i'd say um and i wondered about you um have you finished your celebrations yet from your your draw <laughs> well you you were talking about deja vu earlier and i think there's a huge case of that at the end where once again a late manchester city goal at the etihad against us is uh, disallowed thanks to var um i couldn't quite believe it when it happened, um, just sort of burst out laughing. It, you couldn't make it up that for the second, well, not quite the second game in a row because we played them sh- in the league at the Etihad shortly after that Champions League match. But so soon after that had happened, for it to happen again is quite unbelievable. Um, look, I think to get a draw at the Etihad is a hugely impressive result considering how strong City are. I think very few sides will go there this year and score two goals and come away with a point. Um, 
you know, they absolutely played us off the park. There's no doubt about that. But we were something we so rarely are, which is clinical. We had two shots on target and we took them. And that was the difference. We were more ruthless than City were. You know, they had over 30 shots or whatever, but they couldn't convert. And, you know, we had our chances and we took them. And we rode our luck at times. But at the end of the day, you know, it's the kind of result and performance that if other teams do it, people say it's the sign of a great team to get a result when you're not playing well. And, you know, on paper, that's probably the hardest game you'll play all season away at Manchester City. So to come away with something, I think, is great. On the VAR incident, what I find ironic is that, obviously, the, the Rente goal against Manchester City in the Champions League last season, City complained about saying that it shouldn't have been allowed because the ball brushed off his arm before hitting his hip and going into the goal. And potentially, <laughs> and potentially as a result of that, they changed the rules of the game so that the arm cannot be involved at any stage of a goal, whether deliberate or not, your arm cannot score or assist a goal. And ultimately, that is why the goal is disallowed. So, you know, Pep Guardiola, you can't at the same time say that the Lorente goal should have been disallowed and the Jesus goal should have stood. You know, you have to make your mind up here. Um, And, you know, I have no sympathy for Manchester City on this incident because at the end of the day, those are the rules. VAR was was correct in its application. And, you know, Manchester City have so much going for them with all the money and, and, and everything that, you know, quite frankly, they, you know, if they get brought down a peg, you know, they, they have so much privilege in the game that any bit of fairness feels like discrimination to them almost because they're not used to having to play by the same rules as everybody else because they don't have to off the pitch normally. Um, and they're normally so far ahead of everyone that they don't like being brought back down to earth. The, First time, actually, I've heard anyone this week use that example about the VAR. It wasn't something that occurred to me. So now I feel like I need to eat slight humble pie um, in some of my conversations um, around that. But I just wanted to, I'll I'll let you um, continue on your analysis of the match. But before I forget, um, does that not set a dangerous precedent then? If you're saying that any handball is a penalty, essentially, then if Oliver Skip, grabbed Laporte and moved his arm towards the ball that results in that handball, what's to say that one defender could not physically grab, let's use a Bamiyang example, by the head, give him a little uh, nookie on the head, bring him to the ground, grab his hand and slam it on the ball and say, oh, it's handball, give him a yellow card. Or is that taking it a little bit too far? Because for me, that's that's kind of, it's now making... um, it's making uh, manipulation on the field uh, permissible. Well, I think on one hand, I think that's taking it a little far, but I do think you have a point in the sense of the example I'd use is the the handballs. So the the specific rule is you can't score with your arm, but the idea of giving away a penalty via handball, I think we already are seeing players deliberately aim for players, for defenders' arms. And I think we saw an example of that actually in the Champions League final with Mane and Sissoko, I think when Sissoko had his arm raised like that, Mane did deliberately go for it because of the sort of penalties we saw given in the Champions League last season where any time the ball hits the arm, deliberate or not, it seemed to be given as a penalty. And I think that is a problem that will have to be uh, rectified with VAR and, and how it implements the handball rule for defenders. But I think for attackers, the new rule that the arm can't play any role in the scoring of a goal, regardless of intent or not, I think on on the one hand is probably quite a sensible rule because although we can accept accidental handballs in certain instances, when it directly leads to a goal, it can look a bit silly at times that the players have essentially scored or assisted a goal 
with their arm. But one thing I wanted to point out to actually criticise Spurs and Pochettino, which is something I rarely do, you mentioned Oliver Skip there specifically, who was marking Laporte. When Oliver Skip came on for Christian Eriksen, I wasn't happy with that substitution because I thought it sent a signal that we were just looking to to kind of defend and not try and win the game. And also because I thought Oliver Skip was too inexperienced to come on at that moment in the match against that opposition. And just before that corner was being taken, which led to the Jesus goal, I noticed Oliver Skip sort of look, look around, notice nobody was marking the port and move to mark him. And I thought, why is Oliver Skip marking the port? You know, City's big centre-back is surely going to be a big threat from this corner. Why are none of the other players kind of picking him up? Why has Skip even been put on when we've got Dyer or Vertonghen on the bench who you could put on who are more experienced if you want to see the game out? And it was Laporte who lost Skip and then, you know, we thought headed, but, you know, handed the ball over then to Jesus. And we got lucky that it came off Laporte's arm and nowhere else. And that because of the new rule, VAR picked up and overruled it because otherwise we would have lost that game 3-2. And it would have been, I think, because of a rather reckless substitution and a lack of leadership from a set piece. And that's something that I was annoyed about at the time, the VAR incident has kind of overshadowed that. But I hope internally within the team that when we look back at that goal and how it happened, we're not just going to be looking at the, the handball. We're going to be looking at why Laporte wasn't being picked up before, how he got away from Skip and whether or not Skip should have even been on the pitch. I think Skip's a good prospect for the future, but I think there's a time and a place to to put those players on. And when you're trying to see out a 2-2 at the Etihad away to City, I don't think that's the time to be taking off and Ericsson to put on a skip. And that was my one big criticism that I had um, of our of our performance and, and of Pochettino in that game. But otherwise, you know, yes, we could have played better, but I think most teams would get played off the park at City. I think, again, we showed our mentality to come from behind twice. And Lucas Moura, what a big game player, scores away at the new Camp, away at Anfield, away at Old Trafford, hat-trick away at Ajax. And then as soon as he comes on, for a player of that height to jump up and beat all those City defenders in the air for that header... Um, I think he's definitely earned a place in the starting lineup next week. And it'll be interesting how the team changes now that we have to them on back next week. Um, but yeah, those are my sort of uh, my thoughts uh, on the game beyond just uh, the VAR. And, it, and interesting you mentioned that Oliver Skip point, because it's something that I've mentioned before about what I perceive as somewhat misman- player mismanagement um, by Pochettino. Um, I questioned Vertonghen again. I don't quite know what's going on there. And also kind of that whole squad harmony piece, because I, I have a close friend of mine who I keep asking, well, hold on a sec, if, if um, uh, who, where does Ndombele fit in? He said, oh, he's replacing Dembele. I said, but Dembele left about a year ago, so he can't be replacing someone who's already been replaced. I don't get a straight answer. Now I'm asking Eric Lamella, is he going to start? Oh, yeah, he's going to start. OK, but you've got Lo come in. Who's he going to replace? So you're getting all these boys and, and it does. And it just looks like you're getting grumpy, disgruntled players um, rather than kind of um, players who are buying into the pro- into the project like that. I just wonder what the perception is from inside the Spurs camp, or at least the Spurs fan camp, about you know management of players uh, and those resources, and, and kind of how and kind of uh, how that's affecting morale. Well, I think there's probably not enough evidence yet probably to see whether it is affecting morale or not. The Celso only made a brief substitute appearance at the end of the last game. Undembele is kind of slotted into the midfield alongside Winston Sissoko, who are our two main midfielders at the end of last season. So he hasn't taken any of their places in the squad. Um, 
And I think ultimately what we didn't have last season was competition for places. So I think from a fan perspective, we're happy to see that we've now got options and we've got strength and depth because that's one thing that we sorely lacked last season. Um, whether or not that makes players who used to not have to worry about their starting place feel uncomfortable, that might be a good thing. You know, you look at other, you know, you look at Manchester City, nobody worries about how they can handle all the players that they've got, you know, Chelsea similarly, um, you know, other clubs that when, when they have a big strength and depth, they always seem to manage. And I think if there's any manager who can keep players happy, it's someone like Pochettino who always seems to have good, good personal relationships with his players. The Vertonghen situation, who knows whether it's to do with his contract, whether it's his fitness. Um, but when you've got Sanchez and Alderweireld, you know, you can, you, you've got that strength and depth, you've got those options and, and that's what we need. And I think we'll have to see how it develops over the course of the season. Speaking though, of sort of player personnel and, and their role in the team for the future, Danny Ceballos obviously was a big stand-up performer for you. One question I wanted to ask you about his performance against Burnley and for the rest of the season, do you not think that the better he plays for you, the worse it actually is for you in the long term, considering that you don't have an option to buy built in and that in a way, the better he plays, the more likely it is that Real Madrid are going to want him back and he's going to want to go back there. Are you kind of worried about him becoming too important to how you play, given that he is just there on a one-year loan? I think what's important to realise is that they seem to bring him in as an Aaron Ramsey direct replacement, which means they have a role in the team that they, that they have a description for, essentially. I'm thinking quite, quite um, uh, normal professional, professionally in, the, in this case. And, and they went and got their candidate and he's fitting in and he's doing the Aaron Ramsey role. And I think that we're all, at the moment, we're looking short term. You know, we want to get into the top four. It's a bit. It's a bit like when we signed Julio Baptista from Madrid on loan for a year, and he just did that job of scoring goals and being powerful and giving us that extra man and kind of option off the bench. I think we have to look at it in a positive light and think, you know what? If he's that important to us, we're going to have a go at buying him. I don't think he's Real Madrid quality because if he was, that they would keep him right under their wing. Um, I don't know whether there's a buy a buy option. I haven't heard that there is yet. Um, but again, early days, I wasn't impressed in the first two games. He had a very good game. But also, let's remember, our Shavin had very good games. I'm sure the Nielsen, the Arby and, uh, and the rest had very good games. So, um, too, too early to say. But I think, um, I think you're right in, in that coming later down the line, a bit of a worry if he becomes so integral to the way we play. But I'm hoping that he's just one, one cog um, in a... In a, in a team that all every player is accountable for, for, for their role in, in it so um, yeah, yeah I think we'll have to see on that and I wonder whether you um, think of Dombele as well I mean do you think Spurs are vulnerable if they don't win a league at even losing him at such an early stage if, if, if they don't let's say they don't get top four and a player like that overperforms do you worry about him or do you think the new signs aren't as susceptible do you think it's more the the old guard of Spurs as such. So I guess I'm thinking older Vyrold um, and Kane and Ali at this point. Um, it's an interesting one. I certainly think Undombele is, if, if he performs to his potential, and I mean, you know, he got an assist against Manchester City, obviously he scored against Villa. Um, you know, he's still only a young player. If he does have an incredible season and we don't 
I mean, I, I tend to think that if, if he has an incredible season, I think we probably will finish top four. But if he if he does and we don't, then certainly teams will be looking at him. But I think because we've just signed him, it will cost so much money for any, any club to buy him that I think it'll probably be too expensive for them at the moment. I think the greater worry is if he then doesn't sign a new contract and that starts to run down and then other clubs can come in and get him. I think, yeah, the bigger worry for us, obviously, is Christian Eriksen's situation. Is he going to leave before the European transfer window shuts? If not, is he going to sign a new contract or is he going to let it run down and leave on a free? Similarly with Alderweireld, um, Vertonghen now is kind of an open question as well. What's going to happen there? Um, and, you know, Harry Kane, it's hard to imagine him leaving Tottenham right now. Um, Deli Ali, I feel like his injuries have kind of thrown other clubs off the scent at the moment. You know, bizarrely, it might be kind of Jungman's son who might be more of a, of a risk. I'm not sure why there's not more. I mean, I'm glad there's not more transfer talk for him, but, you know, he's somebody who you'd think that other big clubs should be interested in. But I feel like at the moment, most clubs seem to realise that it's, it costs so much money now to buy another team's best player that only really a handful of clubs can afford to do it. And if they've got another target, then maybe you can get away with keeping your best players longer than you otherwise would. I mean, aside from, you know, even Hazard going to Real Madrid and you could look at the Manchester United Leicester situation with Maguire, the big transfers haven't really happened the way we sort of thought they would. You know, Neymar still at PSG for the time being, Bale still at Real Madrid. And within the Premier League, everybody kind of, for the most part, seems to be staying where they are. So I think it'd be interesting to see going forward whether that transfer situation changes and if things kind of go back to how they were or whether we're sort of in a new era where actually clubs are finding that it's better just to hold on to their players and even let them run down their contracts. Crystal Palace, for example, not selling Zaha. You know, a few years ago, a club like Palace wouldn't have been able to turn down 70 million bids for a player like that. But now they can because they think, well, he's worth more to us here. And if he refuses to sign new contracts, well, that's that. But um, yeah, it's strange. I don't feel as worried about losing players and transfers as I did before, when you could always bet on Spurs using their best player, whether it is Modric or Carrick or Bale or Keane or Berbatov. Now we don't seem to sell our best players. And if we do, we kind of do it more on our own terms. So it'd be interesting to see um, how that develops. Whilst we're being very player-centric um, and, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're caring about our players, I have a game uh, um, to play. And I'm sure you know about the game we're about to play as well. I do. And the game actually has a name. It's not the game with no name. This one has a name. It's called New Who Knew. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so New, N-E-W, Who, and then New, K-N-E-W. Hashtag New Who Knew. So, it's all in the name. Um, we have four fabulous, probably best um, use of the word, um, you know, uh, in a uh, little, little heads up there for a, for a dancing show coming up on BBC soon, I'm sure. Um, four new players for Spurs this season. Um, I thought we'd, we'd welcome our, our Spurs counterparts, um, the players that have made a terrible decision for their careers, um, with a few multiple quest- choice questions um, about their history in football um, and see how well um, you know um, your new signings, and how well I know Arsenal's new signings as well. Um, so 
without further ado, um, I'd be interested to know whether you would like to go first or whether you'd like me to do the honours. Um, I'll, since you explained uh, the game so brilliantly, I'll let you keep that momentum going and, uh, and kick us off. Excellent. So, player number one, his name is Paolo Dybala. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that hurt. Okay, sorry. Number two, uh, Bruno Fernandez. Sorry, again. Very <laughs> sorry. Very sorry. Someone, someone messed with the script. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll go. We'll go with the worst player to best player then. So, Tangui Ndombele. That's how you pronounce it. Um, so, five years ago. Around today, soon, um, Ndombele was told that he would be released from one of his uh, clubs. Um, I don't know whether you can pronounce Michael. Um, I know I know your French is on point. Um, it, 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 it's it's G U I N C A M P. Guincamp. Sounds about right. I would have said Guincamp, but you know, I'm not I'm not the most uh, Almost flamboyant my language. So um, he was really—he was told he's going to be released from that club um, for being what? Was it A, too slow, or B, overweight? I actually read an article about this. I believe it was because he was overweight. It was overweight. Well done. I saw that yesterday in the sun. I thought there's no way he's going to have read that. But obviously our journalist friend here knows more... <laughs> And meets the eye, which means I'm definitely going to lose this. Um, okay, uh, Jack Clark, um, kind of a semi signing, uh, really shows the quality you're after nowadays in terms of uh, big names. Um, in January 2019, The Guardian wrote an article called The Top 10 Football League Teams to Watch in 2019. Um, Jack Clark was in the top 10, um, and they mentioned that he was about to sign, but actually, no, they didn't. This was a complete decoy question. I was giving you background, then going to give you a completely different answer uh, question. So, which year is Jack Clark's contract going to end? Is it A, 2023, or B, 2025? Ooh. Uh, 2025? Wrong. Spurs can't afford to keep those players on long-term contracts, you see. So, it's 2023. Mm. Um, cult hero Ryan Sessegnon linked with Spurs for 3,000 uh, deadline days and finally got the move only to be injured um, he actually has a twin brother in football but what is his twin brother's name is it A. Stephen Sessegnon or B. Chris Sessegnon Stephen Sessegnon correct his brother Stephen plays for Fulham still brother Chris is a professional footballer but not his twin brother. It's funny um, in my head I thought he had a brother called Ryan and then that was neither of the options so I, I guessed on Stephen. I don't know where Ryan came from. No but he is Ryan Zessignon. Oh yeah he's Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So we always well, I always heard that he had a brother called Brian Zessignon. <laughs> So I don't know where that's come from. He's got a million brothers. There's Brian. There's two Ryans, apparently. Twin, oh. Two twin brothers called Ryan. I think that would get a bit complicated in the, in the oh, Sessignon household. Oh, God. Oh, um, 
This is live radio, folks. Live radio. Um, am I right in thinking Lochelso's first name is Giovanni? I believe so, yeah. That's original. Right, so um, Giovanni Lochelso has played for clubs including the likes of Rosario, PSG and Betis. And um, Spurs fans, I'm sure, would love to know that he scored lots and lots of goals for all his teams and hopefully will bring glory back to the lane um, in a fifth place position this year. Um, but how many goals has he actually scored throughout his career? Is it A, 42 or B, 25? Ooh. 25? Correct. That is three out of four questions. Well done. Well done, sir. So uh, I think pretty good. I think it was, uh, it was a little decoy question there with Jack Clark. So I think... Uh, you get to keep Ndombele, Sessegnon and Lachelso, but Jack Clark was sending back to Leeds for the loan for a season. <laughs> uh, so I too have prepared questions on Arsenal's summer signings. Um, I'll start with the, the, the man of the hour, Danny Ceballos. Yes. Um, he had a very successful under-21 European Championships this summer, I believe, in Spain. Um, but how many goals did he score at the tournament? Was it A, 2, or B, 4? A, 2. Correct. Yeah. I hadn't even heard of that tournament, to be honest, and didn't even know he was, thought he was in the full team. I want my money back. <laughs> Apparently, he was going. player of the tournament, I think. So. Shows what I know about Arsenal and football, huh? <laughs> now, Kieran Tierney... Obviously played at Celtic, so he's used to winning a lot of trophies. He will have to get out of that habit now he's at Arsenal. Thank God he didn't go to Spurs. <laughs> How many trophies did he win in his Celtic? Did he win eight trophies or ten? Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, God. Um, hold on. He was a boyhood fan. played forever and ever and ever. I think he came through the ranks. I'm thinking Celtic always won their league and cup. That's two. I'm sure there was like a community shield type thing they do or a little a third cup. I'm going to go with 10 trophies. I, I like your reasoning, but it was eight. Ah, damn it, Tierney. Win more trophies. <laughs> um. If people want to fact check these, by the way, in case I've made any errors, some of these statistics may have come from Wikipedia. So, you know, I was going to say, you know, when times are tough and uh, there's, a de- there's a deadline, you know, you've got to go to the, the, the most available source. <laughs> um, the other man of the hour, Nicola, Nicolas Pepe. So a lot's been made of how many goals he scored in France last season. There was only one player who scored more goals than he did in the French League last season, mm. was it Neymar or Kylian Mbappe? Mbappe. It was Mbappe. Yeah, Neymar's rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I guess you'd be hoping that Pepe continues that goal scoring this year. He can finish second in the goal scoring charts to Harry Kane this year. Very uh, nice. Martellini? Martellini? Uh, Gabriel Martinelli. Yeah. Martinelli. So in pre-season, he scored on his Arsenal debut against an MLS team. Was that MLS team 
the Denver Broncos, or the Colorado Rapids? I believe it was the Colorado Rapids. It was indeed. The Denver Broncos is in an NFL team. Uh, through uh, I wouldn't, you know what, the way you said it, I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> say, say anything in confidence and uh, they'll believe you. Exactly. Um, David Louise, another man of the hour. A lot of men of the hour at Arsenal. Um, he They're all in the hour. Played, played against Burnley. Now, at the 2014 World Cup, he had the honour of captaining his country, Brazil, for one of their games. Was that game their last 16 victory over Chile or their 7-1 defeat to Germany in the semi-final? I have a feeling it's the 7-1 defeat to Germany. It was indeed. Thiago Silva, who was the captain, was injured for that game. So David Luiz got the uh, got the armband. Rather unfortunate game to be captain for. Probably the uh, the CV test they did to get make get him to Arsenal's <laughs> defender. Oh, conceded seven to Germany. You're inside. <laughs> captain did it. Have a bonus. And the the final question is for the centre back who will maybe be taking his spot in the team next season, Saliba. Now he made his debut for Saint Etienne, if that's how you pronounce it, against which French? side was it Lille who of course Nicolas Pepe played for or was it against Toulouse oh what have I got to lose huh um oh. I'm gonna go for Toulouse and you have to one that question that question that's correct <laughs> I think it's a good one I think you did well there uh, you did very well the only question Thank you Wrong was the uh, the Tierney one, I think. Wow! So I think we both got one wrong. There you go. So I guess we'll, we'll we'll call that call that a win for Arsenal. <laughs> call that a win for Arsenal. Speaking of uh, wins for Arsenal, that's probably something you can file under the list things you won't see this weekend because you are going up against Liverpool at Anfield, are you not? How do you feel going into that game? Um, more confident than I have in previous years. However, I expect a loss. So anything else is a bonus. A win, a draw would be like a win. And I don't like that loser mentality. But in, in, our, in the grand scheme of our objectives for the year, you know, getting a point at Anfield, looking at how good they are at the moment, um, I, I think a draw, I think a draw would be would be great. I just think they're going to destroy it. But if Allison's uh, Adrian's in goal and he does what he did against uh, Southampton again, I'll be um, absolutely delighted. Interesting. I, from from an outsider's perspective, seeing how you, I would say, you know, they were narrow victories over Newcastle and Burnley. I'm not sure how much your defence has been tested by a real high quality attack. No offence to Ashley Barnes. <laughs> I think. Well, yeah, it's. I think it'll be a very interesting test of where you are and where Liverpool are as well, because I can also see you causing them problems at the back. So it could potentially be a high-scoring game. But the real clash this weekend, the two relegation candidates, um, Tottenham Hotspur versus Newcastle United. What your, what do you think your chances are? Well, on the one hand, you kind of the form they're in and the state of the club at the moment. You look at that and you think Newcastle at home, Norwich put three past them. You think it, it should be a win, and it kind of has to be a win if we want to be a top four team. But on the other hand, 
is this a bad time to play Newcastle? They're coming off of a very bad defeat. They're going to want to prove something. They're going to want to try and put things right. They might set up to be quite defensive, make things quite difficult. Could be a harder game for us, perhaps, than it looks. But I think anything less than a win is a disappointment and would have to be seen as a bad result. So kind of almost the opposite to your sort of feeling going into the Liverpool game. And I think particularly with you playing Liverpool, I think it's an opportunity for us to, you know, get some early points on the board that, you know, we have to take because, you know, any any match could prove pivotal coming into the season. Any moment could be a, a game changer, as, of course, Aubameyang discovered when his last-minute penalty was saved by Hugo Lloris in the North London derby at Wembley, which if he'd scored, it would have been a very different season for both of our clubs right now. Uh, I don't I don't remember that. I think uh, I think uh, football history began from uh, this year, which therefore means that Arsenal are above Spurs and always have been and always will be. Um, interesting, we were talking about uh, what we thought about the games because last week we did some predictions, if you remember, on the podcast um, about the results and first goal scorer of our first fixtures of the game. So I actually noted these down. So. I predicted Arsenal would win 4-1 and Pepe would score first. The result was 2-1 and the goal scorer was Lacazette. So I'm giving myself one point for getting the correct result. For City Spurs, do you remember what you went for? I think I said that City would beat us 3 or 4-1. And I think I was correct in predicting Sterling would be first goal scorer. You did. So it was 3-1, you predicted, and Sterling first goal scorer. So I'm also going to give you a point for the goal scorer. So that makes it one all in the predictions. And just so we have it on record, a result is one point, a scorer is one point, um, and three points for the correct score. Although now I'm thinking maybe the scorer should be three points as well, because that's quite good. So actually, I think you're winning 3-1. Oh, early lead. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. At least you have the. Uh, at least you have that on somewhere on uh, at this stage of the season. But then, interesting enough, that that leads me on to predictions for this weekend. So Newcastle Spurs, what are you thinking? Oh, okay. I think I'll predict. I'll predict a Spurs win, but I think it will be narrower than people think. We beat them 1-0 last season at, at Wembley. I'm going to go 2-0. And I'll say Kane, first goal scorer. Harry Kane doesn't score in August, though. Well, twice against Villa, so I think uh, that hoodoo is broken now, hopefully. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, it's going to be a long season. Uh, um, I'm going to go for Liverpool 2 Arsenal 2. I'm going to be optimistic here. And in terms of first goal scorer, he's a big game player. I'm going to go for Ceballos. Ooh. Get him into the goals. A cult hero at the Emirates after one good game. Um, I'm not going to get too excited just yet. Um but I will be buzzing soon if he uh, continues his Santi Cazorla-esque feat. Mm. Well, though, listeners, let us know 
your predictions for the weekend's uh, fixtures. Also, if you want to get involved in uh, new who knew, you know, let us know any interesting facts about the the new signings. Um, be sure to, to leave us a review to on iTunes if, if that's where you found us or go subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. Spread the word. Uh, let us know your thoughts and uh, we'll see what happens next weekend. Jason, have you got any final words? Please hashtag new who knew. Hashtag new who knew.